song is a bop. <laughs> if you don't have energy coming up uh, after that, then you just don't have energy at all. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I feel like I wore like a Hollister polo for like four straight first days of school. Can I get an amen to the Hollister polos? <laughs> Did I just say that? <laughs> hey, I have a question for you guys. Are you laying stones or are you building a cathedral? You guys heard this question before? There's a story that's been told a thousands of different tiny little ways over hundreds of years, I think, about two stonemasons. Two stonemasons who were doing the same work, doing the same project. An observer saw both of them and came up to the first stonemason. And he asked the stonemason, what are you doing? The first stonemason said, well, I'm laying stones. So the observer asked, well, do you like what you're doing? The stonemason replied, I've been building this wall for as long as I can remember. The work is monotonous. It's in the scorching sun. The stones are heavy. Lifting them is backbreaking. To be honest, I'm not even sure if I will ever see the completion of this project in my lifetime. But it's a job. It pays the bills. The observer thanked the first stonemason for his time and then saw the second stonemason just a little down the way. Same work, same project, came up and asked the same question, what are you doing? The second stonemason replied, I'm building a cathedral. The observer asked the stonemason, well, do you like what you're doing? The second stonemason said, I love it. I've been building this wall for as long as I can remember. The work is monotonous. It's in the scorching sun. The stones are heavy. Lifting them is backbreaking. To be honest, I'm not even sure if I will see the completion of this project in my lifetime, but... I'm building a cathedral that will be used to worship the Almighty. Are you laying stones or are you building a cathedral? Last week we began a new series, Future Fruit, hence the uh, future looking banana. <laughs> Did some of you guys just realize I was a banana? Or no? Anyway. Uh, Torin kicked us off with the call of Jesus to lay down our lives for the sake of those who come behind us. Because the truth is that God is going to sometimes ask us to use us in powerful ways to start something that God will use someone else to finish. Sometimes it's beyond the scope of what we can see. Sometimes it's beyond the scope of even our own lives. And future fruit is this invitation it's an invitation to join God in the work and the care and the sacrifice of today for the fruit of tomorrow, to proclaim Jesus with our words, with our lives, with our actions today for the fruit of tomorrow. It's an invitation to, to plant trees that we may not sit under the shade of or eat the fruit from. Future fruit is an invitation for our church, the season that we find ourselves in, the mission that we believe God has given us, and the work and the direction that we sense God is calling us into. And this morning, I'm here to tell us that we will not step into future fruit. We will not step into this invitation without what I call the future fruit mindset. Everybody look to the person on your right and say, future. Everybody look to the person on your left and say, fruit. Everybody look forward and take your hands and go like this. 
Everyone, I will wait. <laughs> Brian finally did it. Okay, now we can start. Say mindset. Oh, you guys look so goofy doing that. <laughs> Future fruit mindset. We won't be able to step into this invitation without it. The first stonemason had it. Or sorry, the second stonemason had it. The first did not. I'm building a cathedral. That's a future fruit mindset. Now, lucky for us, the scriptures are full of people with future fruit mindsets. Some are, are famous, well-known. You maybe know them by name. Others are less famous, less known. One of them is my favorite, a lesser-known woman named Tabitha. And I didn't really know much about Tabitha until recently, a year or a little over that ago. I was at a, I can't remember if it was a workshop or a local uh, conference that I was at with a guy named Jeff Mannion. He's a leader of, uh, lead pastor of Ada Bible Church, great guy. And he did awesome teaching on Tabitha and just blew my mind with just the extraordinary life that Tabitha was able to live. In fact, a, a, a portion of this teaching is just like a regurgitated version of the teaching that I received from Jeff. And I know regurgitated is a gross word, but it's kind of what it is uh, this morning, is uh, receiving a teaching and kind of passing it along. In Acts chapter 9, verses 36 to 40, we're offered a few verses that capture the life of a woman who was extraordinary, of a woman who had a future fruit mindset. Her name was Tabitha. Now, some of you I know are maybe pulling out your Bibles, you're yanking out your phones to, to re, uh, pull up Acts chapter 9, verse 36, 40. What I'd like you to do is to not do that this morning, okay? I know that sounds crazy, it sounds backwards, uh, but I actually want to take this passage and do it bit by bit together. Some of us are overachievers, we pull it out and we want to read the whole passage. I don't want us to do that this morning, I want to take it bit by bit as we read these few verses that capture the life of this extraordinary woman named Tabitha. So before we read from this passage, just to set the scene... This all takes place in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of the early Christian church, its movement and its growth. Jesus has ascended, and now the, his movement is sweeping all over the place. And in Luke chapter 8, the beginning of Luke chapter 9, just before what we're going to read this morning, the author of the book of Acts, his name was Luke, he sort of zooms out. He zooms out and he gives some pretty big uh, details, some perspective on a guy named Saul who would soon change his name to Paul, who would soon write like a lot of the New Testament, okay? So he like zooms out in chapter 8, first part of chapter 9, and then what Luke does in the portion that we're going to read this morning is he zooms in. He zooms in almost as close as he can possibly get to just a few of these Christians that were part of this early church movement, and one of them was Tabitha. All right, so I'm going to read the first verse from this passage, Acts chapter 9, verse 36, okay? Here it says this. It says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Why did Luke have to do her dirty like that? Like, he's about to tell us some cool stuff about Tabitha, but he's, but he's like, also, her name was Dorcas. Uh, side note, we titled this sermon, You're Such a Dorcas, because Torn and I are bad for each other, and we like a good corny joke. <laughs> anyway, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. She was always doing good and helping the poor. So we find ourselves in Joppa. I've got a map here I want to show you guys really quick. We find ourselves in Joppa. You'll see Joppa is a coastal city. It's on the Mediterranean Sea. It's, not, it's in modern-day Tel Aviv, uh, if, for those of us who have been lucky enough to go there. 
Not me, I wish, uh, but I haven't been there. Uh, that's where it's at. You'll see it's close, but not too. F- uh, it's close, but not super close to a place called Lida. It's a, it's about a less than ten miles, so a decent journey, but close enough to make it in a day. That's going to matter in a second. Uh, so this is where Joppa's at. This is where all this takes place. And Tabitha was a, a leader in this early Christian community in Joppa, this coastal city. All right. So we're introduced to Tabitha, and it says that she was always doing good and helping the poor, which is not a bad way to be described, right? Like, I like to imagine this is like uh, Tabitha's, like, Instagram bio, like, always doing good and helping the poor. And you can, like, click on her link tree and listen to her podcast and donate to her charity and all that stuff, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, okay? Um, But Tabitha was always doing good and helping the poor. She was a leader in this early Christian community in Joppa until tragedy strikes. Let's keep reading. About that time, she, talking about Tabitha, became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa. So when the disciples, this isn't like the uh, apostles, the Jesus disciples, these are just disciples in Joppa. They heard that Peter was in Lida. So they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Have you ever been part of a community that's experienced tragedy? Like the kind of tragedy that raises all kinds of questions to which there seem to be no answers, to which there seems to be no way to take the pain away. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. The early Christian community in Joppa has experienced such a tragedy, the loss of Tabitha. And they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They hear that Peter, one of the apostles, one of the leaders of this whole thing is nearby. He's in Lydda. Okay, we got to send to him. Peter, please come here. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. Please come at once. And so Peter enters the scene. Let's read verse 39. It says this. So Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes. Another translation translates that tunics. Uh, That's what I'll call them, tunics. And other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. You can almost imagine that when Peter arrives, he can hear the weeping and the wailing before he even enters the room. And as he enters the room, there's a a line of widows who tears are filling their eyes. They're coming down their face and they're holding these robes. They're holding these tunics. They're holding these clothes and they're ready to show Peter what Tabitha meant to them. You can almost imagine them one by one coming to Peter saying, she made this for me. She made this for me. She made this for me. Do you see what I'm wearing here? Tabitha made this for me. And now she's gone. They bring them to Peter after Tabitha is no more. These clothes meant a lot more than just clothes to these women, to these widows. We can't miss the significance of this moment. The ancient Near Eastern world was not a kind place for widows. I understand it's different today, 
But in the ancient Near Eastern world, if you found yourself without a husband, without an adult son, without a family to take care of you, things could get really hard really fast. And you could find yourself in a really vulnerable place really quick with few resources, few opportunity to take care of yourself, and even fewer people to extend care to you. But these widows, they had Tabitha. And Tabitha made clothes for them. And these clothes were more than just clothes. These clothes provided warmth. They were warmth. These widows find themselves in Joppa. It's a coastal city. And in the winters, when the, the Mediterranean, on the, when the winds come ripping off the Mediterranean waters, and, and it's wintertime, and the, the wind is freezing, it's bitter, it's cold, these clothes provided warmth and protection. But that's not all that they provided. These clothes also provided dignity. These widows would have often found themselves wearing ragged clothes that were, had holes in them and that smelled that had been passed down from social class to social class to social class, and they were not proud of what they were wearing. But Tabitha's clothes are new. Tabitha's clothes are well-made. When you're wearing the clothes that Tabitha has made for you, you can be proud of what you have on. These clothes provided dignity. And finally, these clothes provided hope. These widows were a group of people that often felt alone and abandoned. And Tabitha's tunics, her clothes, her garments were a physical, tangible reminder, I have Tabitha. I'm not alone. When Tabitha brings me a tunic that she made, when Tabitha brings clothes that she's made specifically for me, it's a physical, tangible reminder, I'm not alone. And so when these widows begin to bring these clothes to Peter, they're not saying, look at this tunic, look at this garment, look at this robe that she made for me. They're saying, look at the warmth she provided me. Look at the dignity she provided me. Look at the hope she gave me. These clothes were warmth, they were dignity, they were hope. These, these tunics were more than just tunics, they were Tabitha's legacy. It was a legacy of care and faithfulness, and it was extraordinary. And how do we know it was extraordinary? Well, because in the next verse, God literally has Peter resurrect this woman from the dead because her work matters, because her faithfulness matters, and God is not finished with her yet. Tabitha had captured the heart, the mind, the imagination of the early church. So when Luke decides to zoom in on a few Christians of the early church, he decides to zoom in on Tabitha. We're sitting thousands of years later, and we're reading about the life of a woman named Tabitha who made clothes for widows. How did she do this? How did Tabitha get to a point where her legacy was one of care and faithfulness that would extend through the Christian tradition for years and years to come. Well, I'll tell you how she didn't do it. Tabitha didn't spend her time doing something that most people would like to do. Making clothes was not a glorious task, even in the ancient Near Eastern world. Tabitha didn't solve all the widow's problems all at once. No, she was just making clothes for them. 
Tabitha didn't spend her time on a leisure or hobby that turned into a super flexible career. Tabitha wasn't traveling around the country giving TED Talks on how to care for widows without actually doing it. No, if you walk by Tabitha's place on a Monday afternoon, you will find Tabitha sitting in her chair with, a, with yarn and a needle making clothes, making tunics. This was not a, a quick, easy task, making clothes. And so if you walk by Tabitha's place on a Wednesday afternoon, if you walk by on a Thursday morning, if you walk by on a Saturday night, you will probably find Tabitha sitting in her chair with a needle and some yarn making clothes. Tunic by tunic, widow by widow. Using the skills that she possesses, the things that she knows how to do to provide warmth and dignity and hope for others. This is the future fruit factor that Tabitha's life reveals. That you don't usually live an extraordinary life by doing an extraordinary task. You usually live an extraordinary life by doing a very ordinary task, but doing that task an extraordinary amount of times with an extraordinary amount of consistency. This is the future fruit factor that Tabitha's life reveals. You usually don't get future fruit by doing a great thing with uncommon gifts and abilities. You usually get future fruit by doing a good thing with uncommon faithfulness. It's the Tabitha way. Faithfulness, it's this ability, it's this capacity to bring ourselves to a common task again and again and again. And it's not flashy, it's not sexy, it's not cool, it's not glorious, but it's how you get future fruit. Anytime there is future fruit, you can at least find one person behind it all who just found the capacity and the ability to bring themselves to a common task again and again and again. There's a parent who offers unconditional love and support for their child from diapers to diplomas all the way beyond diplomas, prayers, acts of service, notes that their child may never know about. It's the Tabitha way. There's a coworker who continually invites someone into their life and into their church and they hear no a thousand times just so someone else can eventually hear yes from that person. It's the Tabitha way. There's an advocate who just keeps helping meet the needs of vulnerable people, getting them jobs, getting them clothes, getting them food, helping sort out legal processes that they have no idea how to really sort out anyway with people that they don't even speak the same language as them. It's the Tabitha way. Or there's a kids ministry volunteer who just keeps showing up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to deliver the powerful narratives of scripture and to show kids what God is like weekly. It's the Tabitha way. Or in my experience, there was an an army pilot who flew Blackhawks for a living, but also found the time to faithfully eat Taco Bell with me as a high school student on a weekly basis and just listen and process with me and guide me into what it looked like to follow Jesus more and more with my life. It's the Tabitha way. 
You don't usually get future fruit by doing a great thing with uncommon gifts and abilities. You usually get future fruit by doing a good thing, but you do that good thing with uncommon faithfulness. It's the Tabitha way. And uh, this sounds great in concept. Like some of you are like, pumped, maybe. You're like, hey, that's so, so awesome. The Tabitha way, doing good things, uncommon faithfulness, I'm so pumped. None of you are like that. Maybe it's just me. Uh, but in reality, this is hard. In reality, this is hard because in reality, we want our lives to be interesting. We want our lives to be exciting. We want our lives to be important. We want our lives to be great. And we're not alone. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 33 to 37, there's a, there's a story. Just before that, we're told that the disciples had left Caesarea Philippi. They're passing through Galilee. They're on their way to a place called Capernaum. It's over a 20-mile journey. And when they arrive to Capernaum, Jesus asks these disciples a question. He says, hey, what was it you were discussing along the way? Jesus is like, hey, while we were walking, I heard you guys talking about something, but I couldn't couldn't figure out what exactly you guys were saying. What were you talking about along the way? And it's crickets. Parents, have you ever had this moment where you know what your kid has done or said, but you still ask anyway, and your kid knows that you know what they did or said, and when you ask the question, nobody wants to say anything? Jesus says, hey, what was it you were discussing along the way? And the text says the disciples kept silent. And they kept silent because the disciples, who had spent three years now up to this point walking with Jesus, watching him heal people, watching him teach about things, about what it looks like to follow him and deny yourself and to serve the least of these, those disciples had spent at least a portion of a 20-mile journey arguing about who was the greatest about who was the most exciting, about who was the most interesting, about who was the most worthy of honor and praise. And Jesus had to again, like he had to have done in the past, like he would have to do in the future, remind them that if you want to be first, you must be last and servant of all, like Tabitha. So often I think we find ourselves asking questions like, is what I do with my life? The work that I do, the hobbies that I have, the the way that I volunteer, is what I do with my life exciting? Is it interesting? Does it stand out? Does it grab the attention of the people around me? Is it great? And that's just not a future fruit mindset. A future fruit mindset asks questions like, does what I do with my life give life? Is it life-giving? Does it provide warmth? Does it provide dignity? Does it provide hope for others? What if we arrive at future fruit the Tabitha way? Will we be okay with that? Will you be okay with that? Would you be okay if God asked you to do something for his purposes that no one else may never know about? What if we arrive at future fruit by doing good things with uncommon faithfulness? 
What if we join God in the work of today by consistently offering care and belonging to the students that we teach or the patients that we care for or the customers or the people that we serve because we know that ordinary people are not ordinary to God. What if we help others fall in love with Jesus by surrendering our time and our treasures and our vacation to spend a week to serve alongside students at Go Camp or to spend three nights in a row on a work week to run tech and to help lead worship with students who you know you have a very slim chance of ever seeing the fruit from that, but you know that you want to help other, the next generation fall in love with Jesus. So you're here. I know people in this church who do. What if we become a church that makes disciples, that makes disciples, that multiplies and gives life to other churches that do the same by constantly bowing our lives in prayer and delighting in God's word and seeking more and more of God's power and presence because we know that God comes where God's wanted and we are thirsty for more and more and more. I know people in this church who do. What if we create better futures by consistently bringing ourselves again and again and again to a task as common as dropping off a belong project bag to a foster care family because we know that God's heart and mission is the other, it is the overlooked, it is the outcast. What if it's as simple and as common as a task as making balloons? You guys saw Jake, right? Jake is there every year at the carnival. And I've seen Jake spend 45 minutes after the carnival is over as kids are still waiting for a balloon. He is faithfully, consistently there offering something he knows how to do, a skill to remind these kids that they are not alone, to offer warmth, to offer dignity, to offer hope with as simple as something as a balloon. What if we bear future fruit by constantly seeking to love God and to love others in our construction site with our new real estate clients with our marketing meeting campaign the people around the table because we know that God wants to use us in powerful and unimaginable ways in any single moment of any single day I know people in this church who do what if we bear future fruit the Tabitha way friends I'm convinced that if we're going to step into the invitation of future fruit, if we're going to step into the invitation to, to join God in the work and the care and the sacrifice of today for the fruit of tomorrow, if we're going to plant trees that we may not sit under the shade of, it is not going to happen by a collection of people committing to do great things with uncommon gifts and abilities. It's just not. We will sit and we will wait for great things to come by as a parade of good things come marching by and we'll look back 10 years from now and we'll say, man, where was the great thing that we were supposed to do? We'll step into the future fruit invitation the Tabitha way. When a collection of people commit to doing good things, but we commit to doing those good things with uncommon faithfulness. We'll step into the future fruit invitation, the Tabitha way, when we become like the second stonemason, who when people come and they say, what are you doing? We don't say, I'm laying stones. We say, I'm building a cathedral. I'm being built, like 1 Peter says, as a spiritual temple, a place where heaven meets earth, and that God draws others into his power, into his presence, and into worship. 
we'll step into the future fruit invitation, the Tabitha way. I want to close this morning by just drawing this personally to me, but also addressing a little bit of an elephant in the room. There's something that some of you may have been thinking, or maybe you're not thinking now, but you're going to get in the car and be like, oh, I should have thought of that. I could have stood up and objected to Austin. Hopefully none of you actually think that, but uh, you might have this thought. Isn't it easy for you to tell us to do something boring and common and ordinary while you stand on a stage talking to a bunch of people? And there's only so much I can say to that. I think the, the biggest thing that I would want to communicate is that the delivery of this message is really just the tip of the iceberg. It's the giving of the tunic. And sure, when, when Tabitha spends hours and hours making clothes and making tunics, there's a little bit of excitement, there's a little bit of cool in being able to actually hand this tunic to this widow, right? I mean, I would be a fool to try and convince you that there's not something flashy and cool about standing on stage talking to people. Of course there is. But the delivery of this message, I assure you, is the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's the giving of the tunic. And I assure you that the, the time that's spent in uh, a week and on days that's spent getting to a point to be able to deliver this message is no more exciting than Tabitha sitting in a room with yarn and a needle making clothes. And some of you guys are like, whatever, dude. Let me explain. I spend hours and hours and hours reading a few verses, praying through a few words from a collection of writings that is thousands and thousands of years old that's really, 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 really hard to understand. And then after that, I take a few more hours and I read people who have done the same thing as me, but they're just way more qualified and way more intelligent than me. And then after that, I take all of that. I pray through it. I think about things and I try and uh, sum some things down. I try and put some ideas together. I try and identify a message that I think that God has for our church. And at that point, the work has really just begun. Then I take those ideas, I take that message, and I start to repeat it out loud in its entirety five to seven times by myself staring at a wall. And you guys are like, that's why Austin's crazy. <laughs> but that's not it. After, after, after that, I, I start to take these ideas, the flow, and I, I make flashcards with them. Not like physical ones. I do digital because I'm a millennial and I do digital. So I do digital flashcards. I fly through these 5, 10, 15, 20 times to just help me ingest these ideas, to help me ingest these flows. And then I'm really crazy. I, I, re I record myself giving this message in its entirety out loud once, and I listen to that message two or three mornings leading up to Sunday morning just so that I can pray through and receive the message God has given to our church for myself. Have you ever listened to your own voice for 20 to 30 straight minutes? Multiple days in a row? It's painful. <laughs> you guys are laughing at my pain. I say all this not to point out how hard my life is or how hard I work or anything like that. My life is great. It's pretty easy work. I love doing it. But notice, I do all of this. I spend all of this time, 20, 25 hours in a single week to put together a few ideas to deliver a message that for most of us in the room this morning will be forgotten by the time you eat dinner. 
And I know that. I've sat. I've listened to messages. There is a small minority of us, I pray to God, that God meets us and speaks to us and delivers warmth and dignity and hope. And we hold on to this message for for a long, long time. But for 95, 98, whatever percentage you want to say, there is a large majority of us that when we walk out of this room, this message will be gone forever in our hearts, soul, mind, and body, only to be found in a pile of podcasts. Again, I don't say it to say, this is such hard work. Look at me. I say it to point out that sometimes I feel tired. Sometimes I feel frustrated. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed. Sometimes I get really annoyed when I'm staring at a wall, repeating a message that I've heard myself give five times, and I'm now giving it for the sixth time, staring at a wall. I get frustrated when I'm bobbing and weaving in between weekend activities to find time to do flashcards and to listen to my message. I get overwhelmed. I get frustrated. And in those moments, I remember Tabitha. I remember the tunics. I remember that you don't usually get future fruit by doing a great thing with uncommon gifts and abilities. Not in the cards for me. I remember that you do good things. You get future fruit by doing good things with uncommon faithfulness. And that this message is just another tunic. That's all that it is. And so the question that I want to ask this morning as we move into a time of worship and response, the question I want to ask us is, what is your tunic? What's your tunic? What's the thing, or what are a couple of the things that you sense God has given you, that God is asking you to do? Not a great thing, just a good thing that God is asking you to do with uncommon faithfulness. What are the ways that that you can step into these good things, that you can step into these common things and you can do them with extraordinary faithfulness and that you can join our church, that you can bear future fruit the Tabitha way? I want you to do whatever you need to do. If you got a journal, if you want a phone, if you just need to do some business with God and talk and pray with God as we worship and respond, what is your tunic? But before I I pray us into that time, I think there's a group of people that God wants to speak to specifically this morning. I was saying this message out loud on like the sixth time this week, and I sensed an image that the Spirit of God wanted to speak to some of us in the room. I think that there are some of us in the room this morning who we feel like Tabitha, We've been doing the good thing. We've been doing the common thing. We've been doing the ordinary thing. We've been doing the boring thing sometimes. And we've been doing it with uncommon faithfulness. And we feel tired. We feel frustrated. We feel exhausted. We feel overwhelmed. We feel dead. Like Tabitha. And as I was praying this week, I just got this overwhelming sense that the Spirit of God wanted to come and to breathe just like he did with Tabitha, breathe new life into some of us this morning. That God wanted to to resurrect 
Some of the people in our church who have been doing the good thing, they've been doing the common thing, and they've been doing it with uncommon faithfulness, and they're saying, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm frustrated. I believe the Spirit of God is saying is, remember the Tabitha, remember the tunics, I'm breathing new life into you this morning. And if that's you, as we worship and as we respond, I would just invite you to come forward. I would just invite you to come forward as a, as a physical way of saying, God, I need you to breathe new life into me, just like you did Tabitha. If you want to come and you want to bow here, you want to get on your knees, you just want to come and stand, we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you if you would so choose to do that. But I just get the sense that there are some of us in the room this morning who need the Spirit of God to breathe new life into us, not so that we can go and do something great and extraordinary, but so that we can continue on doing our good thing with uncommon faithfulness, the Tabitha way. Will you pray with me? God, I'm so grateful for the opportunity that we have as your people, as your church, to get to join with you in the work and the care and the sacrifice of today of proclaiming Jesus for the fruit of tomorrow. It's your love and your grace. You don't have to do that, but you give us this opportunity. God, would you, would you help us? It's hard. All around us is this temptation, this idea that we need our lives to be interesting. We need them to be exciting. We need them to be great. And yet your word is full of people who chose to spend their lives doing good things, but doing those good things with uncommon faithfulness. So God, would you help us join in that? Would you guide us and lead us into the ways that you want to use us, the, the tunics that you've given us to, to work on, to help proclaim your kingdom here in Grand Rapids as it is in heaven. And God, Spirit of God, would you come and would you meet people in the room this morning who feel like Tabitha, who feel dead, that need your breath breathed into them again, new life. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.